Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. You may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. All right, everybody. Hey, how you doing? You got the you got the full the full track that time. And I think I've said this before, but uh, the 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 clue here is that if I play the entire song, that's because I've told Vera right before class. I'm like, I need all the time to prepare for this, so play the whole song. So thanks to Vera for for uh, for masking my um, my last minute rush. Although I've just revealed myself. Um, okay. Uh, first, uh, uh, just notes of good and welfare um we this is our parsha class we have a parsha podcast and we did every week um last year every parsha um i should say it's not a parsha podcast uh, or 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 now it's not because now it's a torah podcast by which i mean the torah the, the this book the five books so that's still our focus but this year we have a kind of a different approach we both just, it was really hard to do every week and also just wanted to experiment with different stuff. Um, just selecting themes in the Torah and then uh, it, and it's more podcast style, like a conversation. The first one I did with my brother, um, Moshe, uh, and some of you know, is a, is, a, is a comedian and is very funny and was great to talk about. Um, this was because the topic the, that, I, that we chose for our first, um, our first foray here in this second season of Best Book Ever is sibling rivalry. Uh, which is just one of the great themes of Genesis. So that so it's more like looking at a an, an idea, a topic, a running theme in the Torah, and talking it through with someone who might have something to say on the topic. In this case, my my own brother and 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 I had a lot to say on the on the topic, reflecting on the Torah in our own um, lives. So um, I'm I'm asking Vera to put it in the chat. I'm sure she maybe has already. Yep, there she did. Um, so take a take a listen there. Share that if you like it, and um, we're gonna keep going with these conversations on um, themes. Um, the next one uh, look for is astrology. Okay, so there's a little teaser there. Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, let's now, oh, and one other thing, which is that if you come to my Mishnah class, we're not gonna be meeting on Monday. Um, not all of you, you know, go to both classes, but some do. So just, uh, just note, because of the national holiday, we're gonna um, let everybody not work. Um, okay, so let's just say a blessing to focus ourselves, get into our learning today, and then we'll take off. Baruch Okay, so here we are in Parshat Mishpatim. And uh, I said last week that we had arrived at a very, very important Parsha, maybe the most important Parsha of them all, Parshat Yitro, in which uh we have the revelation 
the origin story of the Torah. And so maybe that's maybe that's the that's the most important moment in in our in our narrative theologically. And then we looked at the Ten Commandments, which maybe is the most important piece of that revelation and of maybe the most famous piece in the Torah. So that's what we did last week. And this week, I feel like I must say, wait, though, this this Pasha is all also very, very important. And of course, I could say that every single week. Um, but this this is it's important to say that now because this Parsha acts as a kind of a follow up, an immediate follow up to the revelation and to the Ten Commandments, because if the Ten Commandments started surprisingly to you started our encounter great encounter our, in our national or national is not the right word but our sort of people's relationship with god you, you wouldn't necessarily have expected that that moment would have begun with laws and it did it began with laws commandments ethical principles but laws on some level this is suddenly revealing itself to be what it will be, which is a, a, a heavily legalistic tradition. But you could have gone the other way. You could have, maybe next week's Parsha would have been about like, you know, the the the, the love we have uh, for God by the contemplation of nature, or we just move on with the story. But instead, next, this this Parsha picks up ve'ele hamishpatim. And these are the laws. And our commentators make a lot of noise around the even just the vav there ve'ele the, and these are the laws as if to say given everything we've been saying now we're going to give you a bunch of laws like that's the that's the feeling you get and uh this week's parsha is distinct because it tra in some sense transforms the, the jewish um well, how do I say it? Almost like the 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 literary production of our tradition at this point um, reveals its its really great other side, which is the the legal side. There's the narrative side and the legal side, and all those books behind right. These this is this is like my narrative uh, shelf, and this is like my legal bookshelf. All these books, the Talmud, everything. That's the legal side of our tradition. It sort of cracks wide open here. So it's a big moment, and it's also a big moment because we're naming in a very explicit way mishpat, mishpatim, this word, which means laws and can be translated as laws. These are the laws. That's also mishpat is like a, a very important word in itself, which we sometimes translate as justice. And that also this week in, in some ways, it's clarified. If it hadn't wasn't clear enough from the struggle um, to free ourselves from an oppressive regime. And if it wasn't clear enough from some of the principles in the Ten Commandments, now it's really clear that justice is, is going to be one of the central concerns of this book, this God, this people, justice, justice. And last year, I believe, when we studied uh, Parshat Mishpatim, we just looked at the word Mishpat and what does it mean? And what are the implications? And what is that kind of justice about? So take a look at our, our um, we record these things. Take a look at our class last year, if you're interested in that. This week, I want to take a look at, a, at one of the most classic um, 
first illustrations of a, a mishpat, a principle of justice or a law or a legal formulation. And there are lots of, in Parsha Mishpatim, there are lots of new and uh, concepts that then become classics. The widow and the orphan appear for the first time here. Right. The, um, um, the mandate not to oppress the stranger. Lots of classic stuff. But uh, certainly one of the all-time classics is the phrase we're going to look at today, ein tachet, tachat ein. An eye for an eye. An eye for an eye. Ein tachat ein. An eye for an eye. And there are other things. Nefesh tachat nefesh. Uh, we'll see. Um, uh, you know, shein tachat shein. A tooth for a tooth. Right? It's, a, it's actually... A, there's, it's a way of speaking. It, the classic phrase is an eye for an eye. And it's a classic phrase because it, it's so classic, not just in our tradition, but even outside of our tradition. I think an eye for an eye becomes the very symbol of Old Testament justice, as they say. <laughs> Old Testament justice, which is a way of saying that Old Testament justice is retributive justice. It's vengeful justice. It's get you back justice and it's savage justice. Savage, maybe fair. We haven't, we haven't critiqued it on that level, but savage in the sense that you're going to gouge someone's eye out. And I say it's a classic. And I also think that it is um, an example uh, of... Uh, 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 it's unpop, uh, it's unpopular. Let's say that <laughs> it's it's an example of of what parts of the Old Testament mentality people might not prefer. People out there who look at us and people in here in the Torah conversation, we too might recoil a little bit from what do you gouge someone's eye out as the bumper sticker goes. And as I feel like it's attributed to Gandhi or something, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Right? Everybody got revenge, 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 everybody gousing each other's eye out. Right. So one stream of kind of conversation we could have here is what do you think of an eye for an eye? Is this a good principle? Is this a um retributive justice? Are there other models of justice? I don't uh, that's not the, the conversation I I I want to have here, but I'm naming it because it'll be um important. Today I just want to take a look at the phrasing an eye for an eye and how it's functioning in the Torah and how it's been treated by the tradition and how we might just think about that particular articulation of a, of a law or a legal principle. What's going on there? What's going on there? Because, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like this language is, is everywhere, but it's, it's it's so striking when it appears. And I guess what I mean to say, um, that's a little vague. I think what I mean to say is this. What we're talking about is the poetry of the law. And that's something to start paying attention to here in Parshat Mishpatim. As we read through these laws, they have a certain poetry, a certain um, kind of uh, rhetoric and and so a kind of literary structure. Remember that we have been reading a, a piece of literature until now. And now the law comes in, dives in, but it's still this book with a very literary sensibility. And the 
eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a leg for a leg and a bruise for a bruise and a wound for a wound. That kind of rhythmic chanting, that's like it could almost be, it's this savage, like, you know, um, brutal thing, but could almost be a, a chant, you know? So what's going on here? And um, and let's 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 start to take a look. Okay, well, we'll take a look at this. This is the first appearance of the phrase and the phrases in this week's Parsha. And we'll do a little analysis. We'll go into the tradition to, to hear a little analysis. And then, um, and then I have a, a few modern ideas, one belonging to someone else and one belonging to me that we'll, that we'll close with, okay? So let's get started. Okay. Um, let me give you a smushy. Okay, here we go. An eye for an eye for an eye for an eye. There you are. Okay, um, we begin in this week's Parsha, chapter um, 21, verse uh, uh, 22. Okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Okay, and this is this is where it appears. When men are fighting, hiyanatsu anashim, venagfui shahara, and one of them pushes a pregnant woman, v'yatsula yeladeha, and a miscarriage results. Literally, her 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 children, her uh, her her in her uh, uh, Vlad uh, fetuses come out. Terrible situation. Um, but she hasn't died. No other damage ensues. Anosha anesh kasher yasitalav balhaisha. The one responsible shall be fined according as the woman's husband may exact. Vinatan plilim. And that's to be based on, on adjudication. Now, this, this is like, here's an aside, but this actually um, is the earliest source of, of mate source material that we use to think about abortion law in Judaism, um, in Jewish law, because it seems from this phrasing uh, that the fetus is the property. Now it's the property of the man. It's a patriarchal society. We could, you know, lots to discuss here, but it's um, it, it's not. It doesn't seem to be a life, and it and we know that especially because if um, other damage ensues, and that's that's a that's a reference to if the woman dies. Or, or perhaps the the other guy, but it's understood um, by interpretation to be if the woman dies in this situation. So two men are fighting with each other. They crash into a pregnant woman. If the fetus it, dies, that's a that there's a there's a cost for that, a financial cost. But if the woman dies, you would be punished for killing the woman. Okay, it would be life for life. And that formula is not new. That idea that make ish vamet motumat, when someone strikes a person and they die, that person dies. So that's where the principle of retributive justice first appears. We've got that formula. We actually have it in Exodus just a few verses earlier. Let's take a look. Here we are. Um, we're, these are all the laws. Um, of the uh, th that appear, uh, one who fatally strikes up another party shall be put to death. 
right? That's the that's the first appearance. It's in chapter twelve. I mean, sorry, verse twelve, and then of this of this new uh, uh, legal code, which begin began verse one, and now we're down in verse twenty two, and yes, so we are not surprised to see that if you kill someone. Um, maybe the penalty will be life for life, an innocent bystander. But then we get this eye for an eye stuff. And it's not just if you kill someone. Ein tachat ein, shein tachat shein, yad tachat yad, regel tachat ragel. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, or a leg for a leg. Um, and then we continue. Kvia tachat kvia, petsa tachat patsa, Chabura tachat chabura. A burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Okay. All right. So let's just let's just think about this phrasing and what we're to understand from the phrasing. Yes, the the justice principle behind it, but also the the language of it. I I tooth hand foot. Okay. So we've got certain uh, body parts. And one of the commentaries, the Ibn Ezra spends a lot of time thinking about, why does it list these body parts and not other body parts? Why, why is a nose for a nose not on there? Okay. Um, and he's got reasons, actually. <laughs> he says, usually if you get like, if you lose your nose, you die. So that's not, that doesn't, he's got reasons. Anyway, um, and then burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So like, if you burn me, you get burned. You get burned. If you, if you bruise me, we like we get to hit you back, and you, you know it's it's almost funny because it's like whoa that doesn't that's so far from um, that kind of visceral like wound for wound punishment It's so far from the justice system that I currently live in. But that justice model uh, is in some places in the world, right? That that is a there's a there's a there's a there's an idea there that's been played out in human society, surely. But let's just stop now. Now we have the basic phrasing. And I'd just like to hear what you think is going on with the Torah's this for that and this for that language. Do you notice any patterns here? Do you think that the um, the language of, of I for an I, and it's literally I, ein, tachat, under, or in replacement for, or yeah, under is the actual language. An eye for an eye, an eye under an eye. Okay. All right. So let's 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 start hearing what folks think of this language. Marlene. Um, it makes me so uncomfortable to, to interpret this literally. So I'm thinking of it more as a metaphor for accountability. So when there's a crime, we should think about a punishment that's commensurate, but it doesn't have to be exactly the same. Good. Okay. Okay. Uh, Marlene takes us like right into the right into the heart of the of 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 the the rabbinic interpretation of these verses. We will. I, I wonder if we should just do that now. Yeah, we, there's no reason to, to hold that thought because it's such a core thought. Let's bring it in. I was gonna like just just think about the phrasing here for a while. We can continue to do so, but let's bring that in because it's such a in our understanding of this verse, one of the things we will want to have is a is an understanding of of the classic rabbinic interpretation of this verse. Classic, 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 classic. And it's funny that it's a classic because 
this verse, as I said, is sort of perceived as the like, how barbaric the Old Testament just gouged their eyes out, my goodness. But the rabbis immediately, almost immediately, the one of the kind of famous Talmudic lunges here is their interpretation of this verse. So let's just look at this just to flesh out uh, Mar Marlene's reading, because after all, I think what's so important is to hear Marlene say, I can't possibly read it that way. That, that's, I, that seems crazy to me. And that's what, that's exactly where, where the, the phrasing that Talmud uses, uses. Is this really an eye for an eye? Nah, lo salka daitach. Don't, don't think that. Don't think that. And here's what they say instead. Now you could say this is like a legal loophole way, you know, uh, uh, out of this. But maybe, like Marlene, they're just reading it and can't believe that. So let's take a look at what the rabbis say. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai says, he's actually famous for like a kind of mystical school of Judaism, but he was a great legal thinker as well. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai says, uh, an eye for an eye, mamon. It refers to paying money for damages. Meaning immediately, and that's like the, the from here on, the rabbinic tradition uh, is, is, is is going to assume the meaning of an eye for an eye is you owe the person the amount that an eye would cost. What does that mean? You know, um, they 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 assess uh, these things through the um, the slave market, the black market. In our time, it would be much easier. Like, what would it take to secure? Uh, I don't know. Uh, a kidney in the in, in the waiting line. I mean, I guess we don't buy these things, but like some count. I mean, the, this is a strange thing to start talking about. But how much is it worth? Maybe another reckoning is how much money would you lose it now in your livelihood because you no longer have a leg, right? That's another way to so lots of ways to kind of reckon um, what it is, uh, and again. It's not like that takes us into a world of like uh, futuristic progressive justice. It's not like, but it's different. And the rabbis assume that it's different and it's not gouging your eye out. Okay, so what does he say? Maybe it means you say, now, now that I've interpreted it that, that way, that it actually means money amount and not uh, an actual eye, you might respond, maybe it means money, but maybe it actually means putting on an eye. Why do you think it means money? Well, if that was true, if it actually meant putting out an eye, what would we do when a blind person put out someone's eye? Or when we're a handless person cut off someone's hand? Or where an amputee broke someone's leg? How would I apply an eye for an eye in such a case? Understand? <laughs> for remember that the Torah says you shall have one law for everyone. And we say that later in this parsha. Mishpat achad that means the law has to be able to apply equally to everyone. And that's why we need a financial transaction instead of an actual transaction, because our bodies are all different, right? So what happens when a, um, a blind person gouges someone's eye out? And what's the law is you gouge their eye out too? It's such a, fun, it's a funny argument, but it's actually a very good argument, the rabbis are saying, because, you know, that that's that punishment wouldn't affect them the same way it would affect you. So that's not fair. They're already blind, right? So 
we're not actually meeting out the same justice by doing this kind of, you know, what if a person with um, no breast wounds someone's breast? What are the, there's no comeback, you know, there, our bodies are different. So, you know, that's, that's an argument. Okay, so that's like, uh, that's, that's some good core rabbinic knowledge to have the move from an eye for an eye to, no, we have to renegotiate these, um, these, these legal transactions into financial tra transactions. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Okay, uh, Noah Pollack. Yeah, this one's always interesting. At first, it uh, reminds me a callback to Hammurabi's code, but then looking deeper, life for life, life for life. It's like we're first alive, then we're taking the desire we might have for someone else's. To, we're looking at something we really want, then we take it. Then it's saying what tooth for tooth, that's how we eat. Hand for hand, it's taking, and then it's going downwards like that. So the desire and et cetera. Good. Okay. So there the, so Noah starts to think about what it is that these these examples suggest for us as categories and why they might this was the kind of thinking the Ibn Ezra was doing. You know, why am I, what is the significance of a hand and the, how you use a hand, a tooth, and how like we use, you know, that your eating implement. Right, so that's also what are these categories and what's the difference between bruises and and wounds, um, and um, yeah, okay, good. So these these are kind of critical. These are questions about what what happens when you lose your one of your senses, so a critical sense like sight. What happens when you lose um, what your ability to to be mobile, right? Like, and what how do we reckon? These kind, these various kinds. So you can imagine them um, forking out into huge, huge categories. All right, Yael. Well, along the same lines that Noah was just um, suggesting, I think the first thing that's always come up to me is restraint. Restraint. If someone knocks out someone else's eye, gouges out an eye. The person who's just lost an eye might have a tendency to want to kill that person or someone who loses a hand. So I think the, the, the flag here is stop first and, and evaluate and not just the person who's been injured, but the court needs to evaluate. Okay, a bruise, a bruise right. will heal, but if you lose an eye or you lose a leg, it's it's different. But the, the first is don't be impassioned to strike out. You know, th this is such an incredible group of thinkers. I really feel so honored to study with you every week. You know, you just did. There, there, there are things that I that I was like holding as gems to share with you over the course of this hour. But like, you know, just, just our first few comments here, we're, we're unearthing all of the of the jewels. Um, what Yael suggests that an eye for an eye is actually meant as a limiting uh, 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 a rule. So when your eye is gouged out, you can take no more than an eye. <laughs> your instinct would be if someone gouged your eye out or your family member's eye out to kill that person. And that the regulation is actually to keep it 
keep it uh, keep it from going too far. Giving right, so the we can still talk in now and now we can re recalculate that into financial terms. We can accept the rabbinic interpretation, but whether we accept it or not, this is like go no further than an eye for an eye. Go no further than an eye for an eye. Now I I said that I wanted to give you the kind of classic rabbinic um, interpretation, and I also wanted to present a couple of modern ideas um, or interpretations. One of them is very similar uh, to uh, what Yael just offered us, just just kind of intuitively reading it, but um, but adds a little textual support for Yael's point. This is from, um, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't have the book with me, it's my office, and or otherwise I would have quoted it directly, but it's from Rabbi Shai Held's um, The Heart of Torah, um, and he wrote a series of, of essays on um, the Parsha, as I did, right? So I'm often promoting my book on this, uh, on the, in, this in this space. But here's another great Parsha book for you um, from a guy actually that I'm going to go work with, right? This is um, one of the founders of Hadar and a really, really, um, really, really smart and, 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 and unusually gifted reader of 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 Tanakh of the of the Hebrew Bible and this is these are his essays on the Parsha and he says that he has a, a, a in one of the first essays uh, I think the first maybe um, he has this uh, this interpretation of an eye for an eye that emerges from the um, the the fallout from the Cain and Abel story this Cain and Abel and then Cain goes a wandering and then there are descendants and descendants and um, we track those descendants um, just before we get into the get into the um, the Noah story. Uh, we hear about some of the descendants of Cain, um, and uh, or not not direct descendants of Cain, but um, but in this case, referring back to to Cain. This is uh, the story of Lamech, and he Lamech uh, has two wives, and he tells them a terrible story, and it goes like this. Um, he says, um, Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Sila, hear my voice. O wives of Lamech, give ear to my speech. I have slain a person for wounding me and a lad for bruising me. So if, as God said, that anyone who touches Cain would be avenged sevenfold, that was what God said, then Lamech, no, there's no, no, no telling what will come to me. I'm going to get 77-fold. So it's a little poem, and some some suggest that it's the first real poetry in the in the Torah. Uh, it's one of the first pieces that Robert Alter analyzes in his um, in in one of his books. But the language thereof, I have slain a person for wounding me, a lad for bruising me. Well, a, a wound and a bruise. Let's take a look at that language again. We already saw some of that. This is really a brilliant reading here. Uh, Pitsi, petza is a is a is a wound, um, um, or uh, and then chaburati. Uh, here they're translate. I would have translated the opposite, but one's a wound and one's a bruise, and that's the language that is that the that the Torah picks up on here with a wound for a wound and a bruise for a bruise, right? So that is proof. Good, good, solid proof um, that, that says Rabbi Held that this eye for an eye is, is doing exactly what Yael said, which is taking this earlier 
uh, formulation that when when someone hurts me, I kill them. And then the the Lemech even says, and then I'm going to get killed 77 fold. So like, it's just going to keep building and building and building and violence will build on itself more and more and more. That's the world that we live in. That's what I mean by the post Cain world. That's the world we live in. And it's a world of revenge and everything in a world of revenge, that's real retribution is I'm going to get you plus one. Right? That's the spirit of retribution. And that's what an eye for an eye is. No, a bru- you just go that far. A bruise for a bruise, not a life for a bruise. Okay. So beautiful Torah from Rabbi Shaiheld and from Yael. Right? That's a, a really good intuition for how one way of thinking about, oh, that's why it's saying it in this eye for an eye, bruise for bruise kind of way. All right. All right. Let's keep, keep hearing uh, interpretations of this verse. Jen? And I actually have two comments. Um, and the first is that what I like about this uh, trend or this move from the first interpreter is that it's looking at the impact of the law and not treating it like a mechanistic thing, right? Which is like a, a necessary step that we have to take to things like restorative justice or rehabilitative justice. Justice uh, having an impact on our community and how we want it to happen. It's It's no longer... Um, applying principles without thinking about their impact, right? Yeah. Or it's moving in that direction. Yeah. The other, th- the other thing I want to say though is I, I really want to like say that we're actually standing from a very different perspective than I think that we think we are when we look at this, because um, our system absolutely does eye for an eye, like mm. it, it absolutely does. It's only like the privilege of some of us to not see how cruel and violent and retributive the justice is in our own system. So we're not seeing a rabbi help bring this closer to us. We're seeing a rabbi who we need to follow to get where we need to be. Mm. Um, and that's, it's a very different like perspective from which to be reading this. Right, right, right. Uh, can you Can you say a little more about that, Jen? Cause I just, I'm still, reeling and ruminating here but i but i th- i take your point i want to hear you speak out a little bit like our own system is still an eye for an eye in the in the general sense that we punish people and punish people physically and brutally for their crimes but but say say a little more like what, what do you mean like almost literally an eye for an eye well i mean we've seen in this era how can we deny that violence when we've seen all of these videos of black people being killed or beaten nearly to death um, by law enforcement. And when we learn how violent the carceral state is, what it's actually like for someone going to prison and dealing with the deprivations and the violence that is inflicted on them there, I'd rather have a bruise. If I assaulted someone, I'd much rather have someone just like punch me back than spend three or four or five years in prison. Right. Um, and some of us in our society experience that. And some of us can depend on the idea that the system has moved away from retributive justice and cares about rehabilitating us, but not everybody. Oh, okay, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you to think it out a little further because now I understand that part of, part of what you're suggesting is it, it not, not just that our legal system still trades in inflicting 
physical punishment on people for what they've done. But our legal system sometimes inflicts much more physical punishment on people than the punishment, the physical uh, punishment that they may have inflicted on another. So we're like, if the rabbinic move is a, might be seen as a, as a step forward in, in understanding, you know, what, what the move from physical to financial um, retribution is one lesson to learn. This last point, the, the equivalency, the careful equivalency of the law, even it's in its original formulation, that also is something that we as a society um, can't just pat ourselves on the back at having move past. Okay. So very, very well said and well said, but sort of chillingly said, right. To think about um, to, to, because I think that the, there's a debate to be had around whether um, retribution is a, is a, is a, is a, a noble legal ethical principle altogether. But the idea that um, that you would get much more than you deserve, that is, I don't I don't think that that enters the like the 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 realm of a legal principle. That's like that's like and, and that's why Lemech is describing a world before law. That's just like anger running wild, just anger running wild, right? That's just vengeance, meaning like, uh, oh, you'll see now. That's not justice. That's like showing of force, right? So, okay, so there's a lot to think about there. Now, um, I said that I wanted to introduce uh, an idea of my own here. And I think I'll do that now because it's sort of on this note, um, the the way that anger and um, vengeance are some of the forces that we are, uh, and shows of power are some of the forces that we are dealing with here, okay? I think that's true. And I want to say it now in a very particular way that suddenly occurred to me um, last year and it kind of blew my mind. And it blew my mind, um, uh, uh, but but it, um, I, I want to I want to give uh, credit uh, to uh, the context because I was I think this is very startlingly um, powerful Torah and um, not but but and it it emerged um, in a conversation I was having in training um, uh, uh, one of my students for uh, for his bar mitzvah prep for his. Bar Mitzvah. It was Isaac Messinger. Um, so I want to give um, him credit for the Archivruta created the space to like go looking around because he wanted to look. He had um, uh, 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 he had an eye for an eye in his parsha, and he wanted to think about that. And so uh, I said to him, "Well, here's something that I." that I do in my Torah study, and you all, if you've studied with me a lot, will know this. Um, if, we're, if we see a phrase that appears in the Torah, like an eye for an eye, which is such a classic phrase, then we certainly need to ask the question, does that, does that phrase appear anywhere else? Okay, because the Torah, as I 
as I say many times, I sort of teach along this principle, is a book built on patterns. There are all kinds of patterns and echoes and um, linguistic um, cross-references throughout the book. And uh, so they're recurring themes, recurring um, images, and sometimes recurring phrases themselves. And an eye for an eye is one of those phrases. It comes up three times in the Torah, three times in the Torah. And in fact, Isaac's Parsha was Parshat uh, Emor, where it comes up again. We are in Parshat Mishpatim. So I uh, want to show you where it comes up in Parshat Emor, and then see if you notice what I noticed, okay? And then, so, so let's just, I want to I point out a, a, a pattern, and, um, and I want to, I want to hopefully, like, think, think together, to unearth and think together about another aspect of this eye for an eye law. So take a look at where it comes out in the book of Leviticus. So in, in, we're, we were in the book of Exodus, and we, it came up when two men were fighting, and one of them knocked into a present pregnant woman, and if there was some uh, damage that happened to that woman, then they would have to pay an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Okay. Here's where it appears in the book of Leviticus. Again, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Interesting. It's not always the same list, uh, but it does always have an eye for an eye. So maybe that's part of why this is the classic phrase. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, oh, whoa. <laughs> um, where is this in the book of Leviticus? Well, it just happens to come after one of the most kind of the strangest and most gripping dramatic moments in the book of Leviticus, which is not that gripping and dramatic a book. <laughs> so what happens in the book of Leviticus? This is the story of the Mikalel, the one who curses. Okay, so here's the story. There came out among the Israelites, a man whose mother was an Israelite and whose father was an Egyptian. That's interesting, and maybe part of the story, maybe his lineage is being questioned. And a fight broke out in the camp between that half-Israelite and a certain Israelite, okay? So it does seem like there's something about his, they're accusing him, he's, you know, he's part of the tribe, but maybe, I don't know, there's lots of interesting Midrashim backstories on this, but let's just read the story. The son of the Israelite woman pronounced the name, God's name, in blasphemy. Um, it cursed it, in other words. This is the language is um, pr um, um, pronounced the name and cursed and cursed. And he was brought to Moses for doing that, for cursing God's name. Now, his mother's name was Shlomit uh, Batibri of the tribe of Dan. So he he was a member of the community. OK, whatever else was going on, he was he he had a tribe and he was placed in custody until the decision of Hashem should be made clear to them. And Hashem spoke to Moses, God spoke to Moses saying, take the blasphemer out of the camp and let all who are within hearing lay their hands upon his head and let the community leadership stone him. Okay, talk about uh, retributive justice. You can't curse God's name um, when you're walking around in uh, the Sinai desert. That's not a good idea. And the one who pronounces the name of Hashem shall be put to death. That's, that's a huge uh transgression in this tradition especially in those days you said god's name out loud that was like beyond uh, a violation of the sacred 
The community leadership shall stone that person, stranger or citizen, having thus pronounced the name, shall be put to death. If any party kills any human being, that person shall be put to death. One who kills a beast. Now, all of a sudden, we're getting a bunch of laws. One who, if this one's familiar. If any party kills any human being, that person shall be put to death. One who kills a beast shall make restitution for it. Life for life. And now, if any party maims another person, what was done shall be done in return. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The injury inflicted upon a human being shall be inflicted in return. Well, there it is. Very clearly spelled out the principle, examples, a whole retelling of this eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, why are we all learning all of this now? And I know there's a huge distracting force here, which is, wait a minute, did someone get, get killed for just for saying God's name? That doesn't sound just, but okay, let's just, it's hard to do. Let's put that aside for today. What do we see in common between the two expressions of an eye for an eye? Where, what do we see in context both, both times? What's happening? What's happening? Someone, someone do it for me. Someone say it for me. What's happening? In both of these contexts where suddenly we get the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a wound for a wound, what's happening? That life is on the line. Good, good. Life is on the line. Um, wh why, why is life on the line, Noah? Because there's a seeming civil disagreement that escalated quickly into a capital sort of disagreement that now there's good. death on the line. Good, 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 good. Okay, in both cases, now this is interesting, and we have to pay attention to this. In both cases, the law of an eye for an eye is issued immediately following two men fighting two men fighting it's explicit in our parsha and uh, it says it explicitly it says when men are fighting when men are fighting ki natsu anashim when men are fighting and it's very specifically contrasted to a woman who's just standing there beside them right now here again in our in in the book of Leviticus, um, the story starts with two men fighting, okay, and then we get the law of an eye for an eye. Now that's striking. That's striking. And Isaac talked about it uh, a little bit in his um, in his very excellent uh, Devar Torah that day. But um, when I looked back over the passage, I noticed this word. This word right here. And a fight broke out. And actually, literally, it's, and they were fighting uh, in the camp. And I want to just, I want to phrase it exactly that way, because this word, we saw exactly up here. Okay? That kind of repetition is not a coincidence, okay? That is a signal to us that these two stories are connected. These two moments of two men fighting and escalating and fighting in ways that are civil disruption, as Noah said, right? So I, 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 I did what I, <laughs> What I or Isaac and I did what uh, what, we, what we what we would have to do when we notice such a pattern, which is to go to the third example of an eye for an eye, and that one is in the book of Deuteronomy, and it follows just after the laws of um, 
the laws of the city of refuge. Now, this is another interesting legal print, like institution um, that appears for the first time in this week's part. So the cities of refuge are if you accidentally kill someone in voluntary manslaughter and they want to take revenge on you because they're so angry, but it was a mistake. It wasn't your fault. Then there are entire kind of camp cities. They call them cities. Irmiklat, a city of refuge that you can go to for a while and... Um, and that way stay safe and no one's allowed to attack you there, but you do have to leave the community because there's some desire to strike back at you and that might cause further violence, okay? So that's what happens if you do it by accident. But we're, um, uh, we're gonna pick up right after that, what happens um, though, if it wasn't an accident and look at the language of the Torah here. I just want to make my point. Make my point really solid by showing you it's in all three examples. Here we are in Deuteronomy. However, if it wasn't an accident, if a man hates his fellow, a man hates his fellow and lies in wait to set upon him, um, set upon him, to set upon him, and strikes a fatal blow, and then flees to one of these towns. Well, you can't go live in that town. You can't live in the city of refuge if you did it out of hate and you did it on purpose. No, him you should show no pity. Thus you will purge Israel of the blood of the innocent and it will go well with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of laws of how you adjudicate that case. And then what do you get at the end? Nor must you show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth hand for hand and foot for foot, okay? So I hope you're convinced that there's a pattern here. What we make of it, I don't know, go listen to Isaac's um, Dvar Torah from um, last year, Parshat Emor. But I wanna just point out and then offer for these last few minutes of consideration that <laughs> what one of the things that we see in the Torah is that an eye for an eye, this sort of formulation of justice comes immediately after there's been an outburst of anger that creates a fight between, and very prominently, men. And, you know, we speak nowadays of, you know, toxic masculinity. And it's like, it's kind of jargon now, and it refers to certain kind of like you know, certain kinds of behaviors, and it's like a meme in our culture, but we all know that certain kinds of violence are, you know, are found among certain kinds of, 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 of male culture, right? So that's something to really take note of here, and, you know, I, I'm today only pointing it out, and we don't have time to process it all, but I offer it for your consideration that Part of, of the, everything we've been saying, that the systems which turn physical conflict into um, more cooled off financial transactions, or the systems which limit violence so that it can only be done in di directly equal proportion, those systems are there and um, concerned with and directly facing certain kinds of fighting male violence. And I, I, just, I, I just think the Torah couldn't be clearer on this. What the meaning of that is, the gender politics and the legal principles, 
we can continue to think about, but the this feature, this pattern in the Torah, um, I think we've now seen it. So um, for your consideration, as they say in this town, um, let's take the last, hopefully last three comments here from Matt, my mother, and Payam. I'm disturbed by this and by all of these things because it says no pity. And I don't understand how the rabbis are getting, oh, well, we really mean money if what the rule is, is do this thing, do not have pity on them. And I find that, and then it is as a really part of, second side to my distress, because we saw in the beginning, Adam and Eve's enormous punishment for small transaction. Cain, enormous punishment. And then the punishment gets smaller. Is there a principle that, as things are shown to us in the Torah, that change matters? Or is the principle before and after doesn't matter in the Torah? And the rule that we see in the beginning is just as real as the rule later. Okay, I, great. So I'm sort of at sea here. Yeah, yep, yep. Matt, Matt makes a couple of great points. Um, one of which sort of founded on um, a posture Matt often takes of sort of stepping outside of the tradition, really wondering like whether we ought to see the rabbis as legitimately interpreting the Torah or rereading it for us. Because you, if you really go back to the context of the Torah, you can't possibly take this to mean a financial transaction. Otherwise, why would it say no pity, right? So that's one, like, is, uh, is there actually, is the Torah actually much more grounded in like, in the literal meaning of this and in the feeling of it, like of not restraining yourself from executing this, this, and, that, and Matt's a little disturbed by that. But then Matt also uh, presents us with, a, a way of reading the whole sweep of Jewish tradition, whether humanistically or theologically, that it's it, it's a continuing movement or advancement of, and in this case, um, it's a advancement by reduction of a sort of like movement away from retribution to physical retribution to equal physical retribution to equal financial retribution, then maybe eventually to some kind of some new model of justice okay and you know yeah there, there's there's what to think about there we have a, just a couple minutes so i'm gonna leave that there but those are those are two good lingering thoughts mom question okay um so my mom asked um does an eye for an eye is it a law of the torah is it a mitzvah is it a law in the torah to take someone's eye out or um is this more like um an explanation of how law is um is carried out is this is is this a requirement is it a law 
to take out someone's eye. And I think this part of, we, we talk about this reading this week as a, a series, a list of laws, just one law after, after another, but it's not only that, it's also we're, we're starting to see a, a description of the legal system, right? The, it is a law, but it's a law about how punishment is determined. And so it has in it not only legal principles, but also um, a kind of procedural legal language. And we're finding that here already. And that, that, that's an interesting point. We're finding that here already is a discussion of what will the system of law look like? And that in itself is a kind of new sensitivity. What, what will it mean to build a system and have rules for how we punish and what the how to evaluate different um, ca cases on a case-by-case -case basis? So that's interesting as well. Okay, one last comment from Payam. An eye for an eye is an individualistic punishment. And what the rabbis are talking about is group punishment because the question arises, what happens if someone takes out the eyes of three people? They only have two eyes. So you have two sets of justice systems, individualistic and group. Wait, I understood your first point, but what was the question of what of the question of if there is only two people? Say that again. I mean, the question for the Torah is what happens if someone has a slingshot and they take out the eyes of three different people? Right, right. The person only has two eyes. Right, right. But the rabbis, I think, Payam, are saying, yeah, no, that's why you have to read the Torah. This, this, you know, my response to Payam becomes a kind of response to Matt as well. The rabbis are saying, yes, I know it looks like an actual eye for an eye. And I know it looks like <laughs> show no pity. But we have to retranslate um, these concepts because otherwise the exactly what my mother was just talking about the systemic aspects of the law and they cite one of the the principles sort of due process principles which is mishpati elohim there'll be one justice for everybody that's if that's the case it, you one has to read it this way one has to read it, it just a payam is pointing out ways in which the torah hasn't thought of every case and the rabbis assume there's just no way the torah just just clumsily didn't take account for that. It must be that we're supposed to process this in the language of financial. There's no other way to interpret it, right? So whether you buy that or not, that is the logic. All right, great work on an eye for an eye today. Obviously a lot, lot more to be um, processed here, to be thought by presented um, Isaac and my idea, like it was, you know, worthy of another hour's uh, conversation and it is, but- yeah. We don't yeah. have the time, so um, yeah. so we'll uh, we'll leave it there and 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 just say that we have covered one of the major legal um, topics of conversation in our tradition, and that that's a good way to spend uh, a lunch hour.